Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. His interview brought to you each and every week by our good friends at the Murdoch Auto team. We'll get David's thoughts on uh, the Jazz final game against the Spurs as well as uh, their, uh, I guess, positioning going into the playoffs. Uh, in fact, let's uh, go ahead and jump on out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Uh, joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. David, hello. How are you, Jake Scott? I'm terrific, man. Uh, you know, it's kind of kind of a bummer we're losing college football. Certainly bummed about that. But, you know, in, not so in, good. in 2020 world, I'm doing all right. All right. So what do you think is going to happen here? If the Big 12 and the SEC play, do you think that Big 10 teams are going to revolt? Nebraska is going to go join the Big 12? Do you – like they all get one non-conference game and it's all Nebraska? Do you think multiple teams leave their conferences and go play on their own? Based on what I've read, uh, David, uh, they, the Big Ten is essentially telling Nebraska to shut up. Yeah, and Ohio State's AD uh, backed off of that real quick uh, today, uh, David. But I'll, I'll tell you what I could see. I could see all of uh, the Big Ten players fleeing to the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. Yeah, actually, one of uh, the Locked On podcast today did a really kind of interesting thing he went through like every single potential transfer and uh, um like how they fit and where their best spots were and it was pretty wild i was like oh my goodness gracious doing all the work for him huh yeah it was crazy it was good creative good show um but it's you know told you kind of where we are with um with everything i mean i guess it really depends on how much control the presidents have amongst each other right like that's the question so does does a president decide I'm done with this conference and I'm willing to let my football team go and the athletic director go? But if they if they don't, if the presidents don't have that kind of control, that or the you know, no AD or Scott Frost can go do it without the president saying it's okay without losing their jobs. Yeah, this will be interesting to watch though, David, because if if half the country's not playing and half of it is, or whatever the percentage is, man, those conferences that are playing, those guys better stay healthy or it could turn into a mess. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that you you miss on this. Either way, it's going to be a mess, right? Like if they get through it without any problem and everyone won, then everyone says, what the heck did you do wrong, right? Um, and... Um, if they if they don't get through, you know if the SEC and Big Twelve don't get through and have a bunch of problems, then then that's a pretty big that's a pretty big problem. David, let's uh, switch gears a little bit to basketball. Uh, Houston lost to Indiana today, locking them into the four five series. So I guess my question for you is: if the Jazz work real hard and stay focused, could they go out and lose one tomorrow? You know, I I, I mean I think the Jazz have been pretty clear. The goal here is to be. Uh, healthy when this is done, right? So they gave came off that double overtime game and gave Donovan the rest and played guys limited minutes. And now, you know, Mike and Rudy aren't going to go tomorrow. So I, I think the focus is, you know, completely on being healthy. I I, I don't know what the right matchup is. Um, I mean, the Clippers are no longer a possibility, which in some way, in some weird ways, I actually thought the Clippers, like statistically, I did today on Locked On Jazz, the nine games against Denver, L.A., and Houston. And uh, look, actually, I take it back. That's not true. We could still be six and play the Clippers, so that's a possibility still. Like in some ways, the Clippers look like the you know statistically the team that we've given the most trouble to. They've had bad, two terrible shooting games against us. Um, we just can't stop the Rockets. The Rockets, we've played them three times this year. Their offensive rating is over 120 in all three games. Um, but you know what? Denver's great. Like. Um, I, I'm probably in the like, oh, let's go play Denver camp. But 
like I kind of am embarrassed by it because one, they finished ahead of us each of the last two years. So who are we to say we want to play them? Two, Jokic is amazing and has put it on Rudy twice in pretty substantial fashion. And you know what they do? They win. Like they just win. Give them credit. They're 19 and 16 when they trail at the half this year. That's incredible. So part of me feels like it's kind of an absurd thing to to be talking about. Like, oh, well, I want Denver, but we just can't stop Houston. We really, really have a hard time stopping Houston. And against Denver, we get good looks offensively. So at least, you know, I think that there's a script by which if you can go get 43s, maybe you hit 20 of them and you win a game. So, David, let me flip that question around from who the Jazz want to play to do other teams want to play the Jazz. Well, let me ask you a question. If we had a draft tomorrow, so instead of doing the playoffs the way we do them, the Lakers got the first pick. I know they're not taking the Blazers, who they're going to end up with. So who are they taking? I think without Bogdanovich, they might take the Jazz. I mean, I think Utah is everyone's choice at this point. Your superstar is 23 offensively. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, and Lu- you know, Lucas puts more fear in your heart than Donovan and Rudy does do right now. Um, so I'd have to say that that makes sense to me. But, um, you know, I haven't really figured out what the massive tank we could see for someone trying to get to Utah. Um, if Oklahoma City wins today, then six is set as Utah, and the Laker, the Clippers in Denver would have an hour to react with both of them trying to lose to get to us. <laughs> Madness, David. We thought and last if, year was crazy. I know I said this to you the other day, but we thought last year was nuts. And if that was really what they were doing, which I don't know that they are, but let's say that is what they're doing just for the fun of it, then Denver would have to make sure that they lose again to Toronto to make sure that they're three, not two, uh, at 1.30 Eastern, at 11.30 on the 14th. Right? So that's – like, we don't – we know our – if the Clippers beat Denver tonight, then I think we know our matchups, right? I think so. Does that seem right? I think so. If the Clippers beat Denver today, then Denver slides to three, Clippers are at two, and then the only question is whether the Jazz are six or the Jazz are, f- are five. Right. So so flipping the question back around again, if let's say the Jazz are playing their young players heavy minutes tomorrow against the Spurs, and the Spurs should be motivated to want to win that game. But no, what? not true. The Spurs could be eliminated by the time we tip off tomorrow. Oh. Hmm. Okay, so so that brings up all kinds of complications. What if the Jazz, with their young players, are up substantially heading into the fourth quarter in that game? What happens then? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, frankly, Russell Westbrook is injured, and P.J. Tucker grabbed his thumb today. Like, so... Maybe you just win and go be the fifth and let Oklahoma City decide the next day. See, I think Houston, David, I think Houston might be the better matchup for the Jazz anyway because I'm not convinced that P.J. Tucker can play a whole series against uh, uh, against Rudy Gobert. And I like the matchup of Rudy on Russell Westbrook. I thought that actually kind of worked earlier in the year. If given a series to see how that would work, I like it. Um. Yeah, I think um, I do like it because I think it lures Russell into taking 8 million shots. Right. Um, What I don't like is that our defensive rating against them has been a 120 in every game. So the ideas sound, the evidence not so much. The evidence is we just can't stop them. Like, Mm. and we're not like it, you know, we have to understand who we are now, right? So we're an offensive team. Um, We, you know, we once were a defensive team. but we're an offensive team now. And our margin for success um, against the defense, against those kind of teams, is pretty slim defensively. Um, so it's hard for me. I mean, what, 
I don't, I'm trying to look it up right now and see where our defensive nights. Um, ironically enough, I, I don't have everything updated because um, I can't remember my password for, during the <laughs> um, on some data here that I usually get, and I'm having a hard time getting it from the league. So our defense. This is only through um, the Detroit game, uh, March seventh. Um, our defensive performance against the Rockets on January 27th was our 45th ranked defensive performance of the year. The neck um, out of, I think, 62 games is what we had right, right about then. Um, so that's not – then our next performance against them um, was like a – was 43. Um, and then I think – and I'm trying to find our third performance against them. So, you know, it's not like terrible – um, here's our next performance was our 52nd defensive performance. So, you know, it's not dreadful, but it's definitely on our bottom half of defensive performances. David, a lot of people have been talking about some of the younger players and whether they'll play a role for the Jazz at some point. But what impressed me in the last couple of games has been that guys like Jordan Clarkson and George Niang have been coming around, guys who the Jazz are going to have to depend on in order to be that offensive team that you were talking about. What do you make? Do you think they're in good shape, especially from three-point range now? So my viewpoint on the bubble is the following. The, the Jazz were going in the bubble with probably, if I do this right, four goals in mind. Okay, One is they had to come up with a brand-new lineup, rotation, by which to play without Boyan Bogdanovich, right? Then, and they did that. The starting lineup has been great. Then the second one was to change the way they play. Play faster, take earlier, quicker threes, and get more threes up. I think they've done that. Three was to go create some sort of bench that's got to be rebuilt because you're trying to find 31 minutes of Boyan Bogdanovich that don't exist. That has not been particularly successful um it's been more successful recently and certainly you know george niang started three of 26 and three and jordan clarkson didn't shoot well early so that wasn't great but Emmanuel moody hasn't played particularly well um so you know that one probably still a work in progress and then number four is they had a unique opportunity to go get close to a somewhere between 60 and 100 minutes of playing time against real nba players in a real nba setting for Mia Oney, Jarrell Brantley, um, Rajon Tucker, and I guess Justin Wright Foreman. And you just don't get that. You don't get that in the G League, you don't get that in the Summer League, and you don't get that in preseason. Um, it's, if you actually think about it, if you take a rookie that's not a top 10 pick, the, the feeling in the league is that you have success. If you can get 1,200 minutes out for development, you need 1,200, then 1,800, then 2,400. That's the, that's the kind of goal of development in the first three years. Okay, we're going to get like 10% of that. It's not great, but it's 10% for second-round draft picks in a span of two weeks. It's an incredible thing for the Jazz to be able to get these minutes for One, Tucker, Brantley, and Wright Foreman. And I think that that actually will help solve the other problem because, well, Moutier has not played great. I do think One has shown he can play as the fifth-best player on the floor and have the appropriate impact. Which of those young guys has impressed you the most? Mia One's – this is a weird statement. Maybe i got to clarify it if it doesn't make sense. Mia One's ability to be the fifth-best player on the floor is really impressive to me. Hmm. And so here's what I mean by that. Terrell Brantley, Justin Wright Foreman, Rajon Tucker, and Mia One have always been the best player on any team they've ever played on. And what they want to do is when they, what their natural instinct is is to play with the ball in their hands and try to make plays all the time. When they move to the NBA, they have to narrow focus their skills and be willing to be make the play for everybody else and be the fifth best player on the floor. So Mia One has played and been willing to play hard defensively without taking a shot for an extended period of time. He's played well and moved the basketball the extra pass to somebody else rather than thinking about his own shot. And then when the other team has left him wide open and they've treated him like he's the fifth best player on the floor and it's abundantly obvious if he doesn't take a shot, it's a record scratch, he's taken the shot and he's knocked him down with some ability. Um, so he has been the most impressive to me, and I think can actually play playoff minutes. And he's fearless, and you know his like growth issue is controlling his competitiveness, not getting competitive. Jarrell Brantley has a really unique skill set. I am not entirely sure how it all fits together, 
Um, but I think it's pretty awesome. Like he's actually a natural distributor rather than a nat, you know, a scorer. He's a willing passer. He's got pretty good ball handling skills. Um, I almost wonder whether he could be like a bench version of Draymond Green, where he's playing the five but running the offense and defensively plays the five because he's so big. I don't know if he can rebound well enough and rebound out of his area for it, and that would take some time to do that. Um, so I'm not entirely sure where he fits, but I've seen some uniqueness to his skill. He's obviously got to make some shots. David Locke with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, what did you think about the rules surrounding guests coming into the bubble? And did you feel bad for the poor lawyer who had to uh, write out no random hookups in the legalese? Um, you might um, have to give me more information because I haven't seen this and I did not know about the random hookup line. Um, <laughs> well, it, so, it wasn't put quite that uh, that plainly. Um, they basically had to say that you have to have known and had uh, a relationship with the guest before they uh, are eligible to come in. So this t- Tinder does not count as a known in relationship? Is what <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, but I don't know how you prove that, actually. Um, I think this is the most important. St- so the NBA has proven... Uh, let me see how, I'm a, how what I'm trying to go to here. So I think there's a bunch of really, really interesting things going on in the sports world from like a big wide range so that we have like five different models all taking place right now. Like give the MLS credit. They just finished their season yesterday, right? Give, give the women's soccer, they finished theirs credit. So there's some like mechanism where they, those two leagues got it done. The NBA on a higher, more high profile level has proven the bubble. The, the next stage of the bubble in the re- in the most restrictive of models is the ability to bring in friends and family. And why I think it's so important is the next year in the NBA, if they're going to play, they're either going to have to do it in bubbles where friends and family come in, or they're going to have to follow the major league baseball model. And that's not working very well. So, you know, or you're doing, and I and I don't know that socially distanced crowds actually have an impact on whether the players get the virus or not. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced. Of, I'm not convinced it does. So I, that's a separate discussion. But you're either going to play next year in some sort of bubble again, or you're going to end up playing in with friends and family, or you're going to end up playing where you're traveling from city to city with or without fans. And so I think having this other option of where you bring families in and it works would be super important. David, I want to ask a really long-winded answer. I apologize. No, no, it's (laughs) fine. It's good. I have a a question to be asked, uh, how to say, tenderly. Do you think that the NBA bubble has been a bubble? Do do you think there have been interactions between players and outsiders? on the quiet. No. But I don't know. I don't have any idea. But no, I don't. There you go, Gordon. I think these guys take it really seriously. And I think when the first report came out that there were no positive tests, it changed everything. And I would say talking to people, I talk to someone in the bubble every day. That's kind of my, like, trying to stay in touch with people. Generally, try to talk to someone today. I haven't today, but um, the mood changed after that first test came out. It, guys were tired and feeling restricted and feeling a little overwhelmed, and um, you know there wasn't they weren't grumbling, but there was just a lot of talk about like the amount of stuff that was going on. Um, and the minute that first report came out that all that everybody was negative. The entire talk changed to, gosh, I almost feel bad about being here. We're so much safer than everyone else. We have to do a lot of things, but boy, it's crazy. Wow, I went to the gym and worked out today. You know, like those kind of things. Like suddenly it was, it changed the mood. So I think everyone feels pretty good about it. It is impressive. I will say that. I mean, yeah. I think this next stage is really, really important. You know, can you bring people in and out of the bubble, testing them in, in a manner and having them take it seriously enough and everybody that you can maintain the negative tests? And, I mean, what gets really interesting here is, you know, you're into the second round of playoffs and you bring somebody in and you get – you just cost your team – might cost your team the title, right? I mean, if you make it into the Final Four, you're, you've got a real chance to win the title. 
you're 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 one one or two hot shooting nights away from winning a series and one or two you know a sprained ankle away from making it to the finals even if you're an underdog David always a pleasure thank you very much and uh, I have a I, I have a question for you oh all right so I've seen the take that we let our college football players deal with CTE and we won't let them deal with COVID. Fair or unfair? Uh, yeah, I think there's some fairness to that. Do you disagree? Oh, I don't know. I just... No, here, here's my thing, David. I, I think if you're going to, if, if universities are going to prioritize the health of their athletes, this would be the first time. And I'm not convinced that this is actually a decision to, uh, in the best interests of the health of college athletes. Um, so I would add on to that with this. If it's the first time something happens, then that's probably not the reason. Okay. Does that make well, sense? Is it, is it really the first time? Well, I don't know. If we believe, if it is the first time that that decision's been made for that reason, then that's not the reason. Then there's another reason. It's a good rule to live by. Yeah. Well, the liability definitely is part of it. Well, then that's the, then that's the issue. I just wish people would be honest about it, David. You know, if it is liability, which I, uh, I believe that that is, is playing a role, I also think they're kind of trying to silence speech, too, but that's a different thing. Right. Uh, but if, if it is the liability, political and financial, just have the stones to say that then. Don't hide behind this, but, oh, it's in the best health interest of the, of the football players. Maybe it's not categorical like that. Maybe it's both. Maybe they do care about because we're in a we're in a pandemic here. So you got that going, and then you have the liability issue, and those two things combined make it. I will uh, I will say this. I was, and you can take this for whatever it is. I was on a call with the Stanford AD um, a long time ago. Like I think I might text you guys. Like this was let's see, and this was early on because we were I was in St. George for. I mean, this is April maybe. Um, and he said, it was interesting. I was on a call with Mark Harlan and with friend Amir on the same day, and like, you know, zoom call, not like just for me, Mark Harlan was, you know, very optimistic. We're going to play. We're going to move forward to that. We've you know, got under control in our state. Brendan Muir, who's Stanford's AD and find their elitist and holier than thou, just simply said, I am not sure that I will ever be comfortable putting my athletes on a playing field for TV dollars if it's not safe enough for fans to be in the crowd. Hmm. Just such a bad look. It's a bad look. Sorry, go ahead. I think there might be enough people, presidents of universities, who understand this, who said, hey, we're not rolling 19, 20, and 21-year-old kids out for risk, we don't know, on something as obvious as their quest for TV, our quest for TV dollars. So send them home where they'll be at greater risk. Well, yeah. I mean, if you buy that thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. I, I, you know, Tom Osborne told us that uh, Lawrence Phillips was much better off if he was with a football team and we saw how that worked out. So uh, I'm not sure I'll ever buy a football coach ever telling me that. David, I'm with you on your opinion on that, by the way. I agree with you. Uh, I think if uh, you're testing them regularly alone, I think that that is more uh, uh, safety than they're going to get without football. Yeah, I think you can actually make a strong argument that the safest place in related, relation to COVID-19 right now is BYU's football facility. In this uh, well, state. I mean, in this state. I mean, so, yeah, somebody said to me the other day, Disneyland made the happiest place on earth, and now they've made – Disney made the happiest place on earth, and now they've made the safest place on earth. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I do – I do buy. If you're, I mean, if you're doing what everybody's always said we should do, which is testing like, regularly, contact tracing, like all the things they've said we should do, yeah, you can. That gets safe. So if we're if we were going to do that in all of our collegiate environments, then that would be safer than having them in an environment where that's not taking place. But then, how's that worked out for Major League Baseball? I am still totally unclear on what Major League Baseball is doing testing wise. Can somebody answer this question for me? <laughs> <laughs> Not at the moment. And, and David, we are uh, we're really up against it. We got to run, man. Thank you though, and I appreciate the yeah. the critical conversation there at the end. I think that stuff's important. Okay.
All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. All right. Coming up next, Josh Parcell, our college football insider. Stay tuned. Big Show 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us part of your day. We're going to talk to our college football insider, Josh Parcell of College Football Country, uh, coming up here momentarily. Also uh, does a radio show in Charlotte, North Carolina. So he's right there, Gordon, in uh, ACC country. So I'm looking forward to getting his uh, perspective uh, as what's going on in that part of the country. Josh is a great guest. Every time he comes on, he he gives us something to, uh, to think about. All right, let's get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. As I mentioned, host a show for WFNZ in Charlotte, as well as uh, Sirius XM College Football, or College Sports, excuse me, and founder of College Football Country is our friend Josh Parcell. Hi, Josh. What's going on, fellas? How are y'all? Uh, you know, considering we're not going to have college football in this part of the country this year, Josh, we're, uh, we're bummed. Yeah, I, I, tell me about it, man. I, I feel awful for... For everybody out there, I mean, the players, the the coaches, the fans, of course, and I think the the unspoken victims in all of this are the uh, support staff people too, right? I mean, yep. that that's the part that, that really guts me is, you know, assistant coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, uh, tutors, academic support, all the other people who, who make the, the athletic department go – and now I think there's a lot of uncertainty about their future. And unfortunately, you know, there's probably going to be some, some serious job affected by, jobs affected by this. And that's, that's a really, really upsetting thought right now. Um, so I hate it for, for a lot of reasons. It was a sad day yesterday for college football. And I'm not exactly sure how, uh, you know, how it's going to look on the other side. So, Josh, uh, help me out here, will you? Because I need some help. USC's AD reads the data and says there's no way the Pac-12 could have come to any other conclusion than the one they came to in studying the data. And Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, looks at the data and says just about the exact opposite. How can two intelligent or groups of intelligent people study the same data and walk away with opposite opinions? Because we don't know if it was the same data. And this has become so political and so fractured over the last month that we don't know who's reading what, who's advising whom, and why these decisions are being made when they're being made. I I don't have a great answer for you, to tell you the truth. I I don't understand how – I mean, it's not just conference to conference, guys. I mean, think about this. In the Big Ten – you, know, you have Barry Alvarez, who's an incredibly well-respected AD, great longtime coach at Wisconsin, and he's, he's saying yesterday that, you know, based on their findings, they don't feel comfortable with, you know, players having physical exertion, and they think that there could be potential increased risk just based on being in the same proximity as one another and sweating and heart rates rising and contact and all that, and then at the same time, Wisconsin's planning on practicing 20 hours a week this fall. <laughs> How does that add up? I mean, that's within the same school. There, there's clearly some sort of lack of communication and lack of a real plan. So this is not just a Pac-12 versus Big 12 or SEC or Big 10 thing. This is, these are schools themselves that are, are making decisions that seem to conflict with, with one another. It's, it's very bizarre. It's very strange. And I, I can't make any more sense of it than you can. That's interesting that you say that about Barry because he's kind of an old school kind of guy, isn't he? Yeah, and he's been, he's been really thoughtful and measured throughout this process through uh, really for a long time. He's done a great job at helping Wisconsin's athletic department even after he retired. It's, and I don't want to take too many shots at Barry Alvarez. It's I think he's more of a microcosm of of a bigger problem. Is that there has just been such a lack of communication and lack of organization throughout this whole process that uh, it's, it's led to where we are today, where two conferences have shut down and the rest are saying, nope, we're going to plow right through and keep going. I, I don't understand how they, these five leagues can't be more on the same page than they are. 
Josh Parcell with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You're right there in ACC country, and they've been vocal about wanting to hold the line. Is that just lip service, or do you expect that to continue? I think it's legitimate for now. I mean, look, guys, let's face it. it, it is it likely that we have a college football season? No. It, I would say it's a less than 50% chance that we see any college football this fall just based on any number of factors. But having said that, um, I, I'm, I applaud the ACC and I applaud the SEC and the Big 12 as well for being more patient. You know, these conferences rescheduled games and canceled games and moved dates around so that they could have the flexibility needed in order to give themselves as much time as possible to make a decision. Um, the Big Ten did the same thing, but then pulled the plug on it five days later and haven't given a good reason or an explanation why. So I think that in the case of the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, there is some flexibility in their schedule so that if they need to delay the season, they can. If they need to reschedule games, they can. Uh, if they need to cancel games and not cancel the season, they can. Um, there, this is changing by the day. Um, the information that we have, not just in terms of allowing, hopefully, maybe the, the impact of the virus to subside to some degree over the next few weeks, but also to learn more about the potential side effects or consequences of the virus. Um, the more we learn about that day by day, the more information that these you know, commissioners and presidents and ADs have, the more uh, informed of a decision they'll be able to make when the time comes. That, that's why I don't understand why the Big Ten had to make the decision when it did. Um, the Pac-12 is a slightly different case simply because many of their schools aren't allowing students back on campus. I know that's a deal in California, uh, several other states. So I, I get that a little bit more, but I don't understand that in some of the other leagues. So I applaud the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 for being a little bit more patient. Not to say that we will have a season, but I don't think the decision had to come on August 11th. So, Josh, help, uh, help Jake and me hash our way through a discussion we've been having for quite some time now. Do you believe that those who have canceled or postponed football in the fall are truly concerned about the health and safety of the student athletes? Or do you think they're worried about the unionization of the players and the liability issues that come with said consequences that are yet unknown that you already mentioned? I think they are much more concerned with the latter. Um, not to say that they aren't concerned about you know, the players' safety and their health, um, but there's just a lot of hypocrisy that has existed throughout this decision-making process. I mean, if they play games in the spring, they can't look at anyone in the eye and tell them that they're concerned about player safety because playing 25 football games in 12 months is not safe. Um, it's not the most safe thing that you can do. So this is about money. This is about power. This is about control. And avoiding the potential unionization of, of players, which still may happen to some extent, but maybe not to, to, the, uh, to the point of a full union. Um, I think that's a big deal for these administrators. They don't want to see that happen. They would lose a lot of power, and it could potentially completely disrupt the collegiate model, which has worked really well for the people who are in control. So there's that. Um, and then, as I mentioned, it's, it's slightly different with the Pac-12 because most students will not return to campus. But you can't convince me. There has been no, no convincing evidence or arguments to support the idea that college football players are less safe playing football than they are being regular students. If there was compelling evidence to suggest that they were in more danger by playing football, I would be completely on board with the idea of shutting things down. But you have some medical uh, advisors and doctors who are suggesting there is no greater risk. Um, and we've seen in the case of the NBA and in the NFL even to this point that if you have the proper protocols in place, you can mitigate, not necessarily eliminate, but mitigate the risk of the spread as long as you're monitoring the athletes very closely. Um, so, again, I don't see a greater difference, a great difference between the students as a whole and the college athletes. The difference being is that they're not being compensated as employees, and that could lead to them unionizing. So I guess that's why they wanted to shut it down altogether and hope to maybe avoid you know, such a conflict. But make no mistake about it. This is about money. This is about politics. This is about power. 
it is not only about the health and safety of the players, at least in my eyes. Well, Josh, thank you for jumping on with us and helping us make some sense of this whole thing, man, if, if that's even possible. We appreciate it. <laughs> I tr- I'm trying my best. I think we all are, but I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Josh. It's our friend Josh Parcell, founder of College Football Country. He's on uh, Sirius XM Radio, their uh, college sports station, and hosts a show on uh, KFNZ, or excuse me, WFNZ, KFNZ, WFNZ there in, uh, in Charlotte. All right, Gordon. Didn't, uh, didn't KFNZ once offer you a job? Uh, <laughs> that, that may have happened. Uh, I worked at KFNZ. You did. So did I. Oh. Look at that. So I'm the only one who bad. did not. Yeah. Well, way back in the day, you know. You know, whoever found Josh really did a good. Was that you, Austin? Because <laughs> he's terrific. He is. He really he's great. Is. He is he's great. Been, he's been, we've been talking to him for a long time. We he was he was kind of nobody when we first started talking to him. Oh, that's huh? rude. That is rude, but accurate. Oh, now he's turned into uh, same with Clay Travis. Yeah, and Brett McMurphy. Yeah, Clay used to come on with us all the time when he was. Now he's just he's... nuts. All right, stay tuned. More Big Show coming up next. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, ninety-seven five and uh, and twelve eighty the zone. Tune in tomorrow. Movie zone. Austin Horton, seven o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock. Oh yeah, we have a jazz game, so it's coming up after the jazz game. Stay tuned for that. Austin and I have had a lot of movie discussions today off the air. Gordon, is is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation the perfect comedy ever made? I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's pretty good. Austin and I were laughing about that movie today. Might be the perfect comedy. Now, now here's the discussion we got into, Gordon. Would you consider that movie a sequel? Because I usually bag on sequels, especially comedy sequels. But if you consider that a sequel, as legendary as the original Vacation was and as great as that movie was, I like Christmas Vacation more. Uh, it is a sequel because it is part of the same storyline as far as the family Except goes. for it doesn't have a running storyline. No, but it has the same family. Except the the actors are different for the kids every time. Yeah. That's true. And they don't really refer to the other movies. <laughs> you know, it's not a, a sequel in a sense where they, they're like carrying on the storyline. It's like its own individual vacation. Hmm. All right. Well, okay. You convinced me. Well, this, yeah, this, this is the, the ridiculous movie debates that we have. <laughs> but is that your favorite vacation movie? I think so, yeah. The original Vacation was pretty amazing. I liked Vegas Vacation even. European Vacation, eh. But I think Christmas is the best. Let's ask, let's ask Scotty. Scott Gerard joins us now uh, here for our friends at uh, TridayTrading.com. Best Vacation movie? Uh, Christmas 1, Original 2, um, European 3, Vegas 4. Ooh, not wow. a Vegas guy, huh? Not a, no. I, well, you know, I only saw the Vegas one once. Maybe I should need to give it another shot. Wonderful movies, wonderful okay, films. Okay, since we're on that topic real quick, what movie more than any other, Scotty, made you laugh? Oh, oh, well, okay. It's a funny movie, yes, but it was also kind of the situation. Um, so I did I did the mission thing, and then the first movie I watched when I got home was Happy Gilmore. And so... So funny movie, yes, but also not not watching an Adam Sandler movie for two years. Um, that that one, yeah, that will always be the one where I nearly lost it watching that movie. You know who was the first person that referred that movie to me? Uh, who the re- reference came from? Siskel. The referral? No, it was Jeff <laughs> Hornacek. Honk. He watch Happy Gilmore. That. He loved that movie. 
How did that come up in a conversation with Jeff? You know, Gordon, let me tell you a movie you should go see. That was just to tell everyone he's spoken personally. With <laughs> no, it was on the air. So, so Jeff and I air. were having dinner at Lakai one night. <laughs> and he said, you know, you need to check out this great film. Have I told you guys today, I don't think I have mentioned today, uh, how much I hate you? (laughs) (laughs) And Gordon, I'm sorry, like, I meant that as, like, the first thing, like, I meant, like, uh, like, that's that's the power of Gordon Monson. Like, sometimes he frustrates you, makes you mad, makes you think, and I'm like, and today was just a day where I'm like, Wow, Gordon and I could not be further apart on some of these things. So that's all. It wasn't. It wasn't any sign of disrespect or anything. Well, here's here's the thing. I, maybe I need to hear you out, and maybe you can change my mind. Jake can't because he he talks a bunch of gibberish. But you might be able to change my mind. My only my only thought was in like that first segment where, you know, there were a lot of people out there saying you can't play, you can't play, you can't play. You know, you you got to protect these players from this virus. And I agree, like, we got to protect the players, but we also have to understand the ramifications. Like, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, You know, in, in an athletic department. And when you lose $60 million, there is going to be a heavy announcement of furloughs and firings at the University of Utah and yeah, every like other that. Pac-12 conference and the Big Ten conference. Like, like it is the, the toll and the price for not playing – and that's why a lot of people, myself included, were like, hey, if there's a way to play, we've got to play. Not because it's just a game and it's just fun, but because the the price of not playing is horrific. And there's going to be guys that, that we've known for years and years and years that are going to be looking for work or furloughed until January 1. I mean, it is going – the bloodletting that's about to happen in some of these universities is just about to be sickening. But isn't there some, you know, some money tucked away for a rainy day and can maybe some loans and made up over the next couple of seasons? Well, I, I mean, no. <laughs> I don't think anybody's got $60 million lying around. I mean, you know, Huntsman can only help you out so much and and uh, and Spence Eccles can only help you out so much and, and all that money's earmarked. You know, and that's the one thing, like when we talk about some of these owners, you know, they're like, oh, they're worth $2 billion, you know, well, it's not like they got $2 billion in a bank account. You know, that, that's just not how, how it works. And so it's, it's, it's going to be scary. And that's why I think a lot of, a lot of people got really frustrated with, with, with some of the people in the media saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. And, and look, you're right. Health of athletes is that's your number one priority. But I, there was, there is a, there is an athletic director in a power five conference, not in the PAC 12, and not so he's he's part of one of the conferences that was going to be played. He recently told somebody that if we don't play football, I can't make my payroll in September. Hmm. I mean, it was just point blank. This is a Power Five conference. He said, "My I can't make payroll in my athletic department if we do not play football." That is how razor thin the margins are for some of these conferences, and it's a scary, scary situation. So when you take that money away. Um, you've got to go crying to the university to help help you out. And even if they do help you out, they're going to say, okay, what's your plan of cutting costs? So let us know who you're letting go. Let, who are you furloughing? What is your plan to make sure that you're more financially viable come January 1? And it's, it's not going to be pretty. Well, one thing's for absolutely sure, I hate to see people lose their jobs. Yeah. Well. I mean, it's sickening. I mean, and, and we're talking – not, I mean, this isn't a 10% pay cut for Kyle Whittingham, who, you know, and, and look, you know, Kyle would be the first to admit that he could absorb something like that. But we're talking GAs. We're talking, you know, you know people in a marketing department, sports information department, uh, health, you know, people that are making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year that are living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to make it work. And, and a lot of these guys are going to be told that, hey, you know what, sorry, but uh, you're not going to be able to work until January one, and I, look, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen. At the, you know, I'm not saying this is happening at the University of Utah. I'd be shocked if it didn't, just based on the whole economics of the whole thing. Yeah, my whole point in that earlier segment was that if if Utah got by so well uh, in such a responsible manner, all those years when they really weren't generating that much income. And they were able to get by. Can't they get by a couple of scant years without blowing the whole thing up? Well, I, I certainly hope that's the case. I just don't think. I think. I mean, I think. It, it, you know, Austin and I were just talking during. You know, before I came on, and 
And he goes, well, this is going to hurt you. And, and look, I mean, the money I make from Utah State isn't, you know, I mean, it's not live off of money, but it's, you know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a good amount that my family and I have come to appreciate over the last three years. And so, and so once you get used to a certain amount coming in, it all of a sudden hurts you when it doesn't come in. Yeah. And, and so I think the University of Utah and every business that same way when, you know, frankly, you know, me personally, I probably should have just, you know, taken that money and put it in the bank. But you know what? Kids like to go to Disneyland every now and then. So, so you know, it, I, I, I think once you get used to that, then you start to earmark for that and you prepare for that. And then when it goes away, then, then, then it's painful. Well, I think that Jake and uh, Austin and I will will uh, sort of uh, compile all our uh, little extra income and pass it. No, 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 no. I was just using the, myself. Uh, like, I'm no, no. I'm not claiming poverty by any stretch. I'm just saying I, I understand how people can get in that situation. That's all. So yeah. I, I don't want anybody tweeting like, "Oh, you're no, I'm fine. Everything's fine." Like, I'm no. This is that that I do I do Utah State for the fun of it, not not for the money. I well, shouldn't I have sold my kidney on the black market just now for you. <laughs> I appreciate you hammering that point home, Scotty. Uh, Scotty, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to make an awkward transition. But since we're um, talking about making more money, let's talk about TryDayTrading.com. Yeah, no doubt. Like, and that's the thing, and and that's why I know a lot of people that try that have that have tried Tryday Trading out have been looking for other opportunities to supplement their income, and so and, you know, and and look. The one thing that Tri-Day Trading is very, very key on, and one thing they want to really stress is that this is not something that you're going to hop into, and then three weeks later, you're going to be able to pay your mortgage off it. It is a lot of education, a lot of work, a lot of instruction, and it, it's something that if you work at and you spend the time and you really learn and you take advantage on the one-on-one coaching and you get to learn the terminology and you learn what they can do for you, uh, you can make money. And you, and one thing I, I think is really cool in their early training process, they ask you, what are your goals? And for some people, they want to like say, look, I don't want to do work for the man anymore. I want to completely replace my income. Other people say, you know what? I'd like to make a car payment. You know, I'd like an extra three to $500 a month, or I'd like to replace my mortgage. I'd like another $1,500 a month or whatever the case might be. And they're like, all right, let's work to get you there. And it's really a smart process to learn and to educate yourself on what this on, on how this works. And that's the thing. There's a lot of stigma out there that think this is a fly by night situation where they just throw you to the wolves and you're gonna end up losing your shirt. And in reality, they are going to spend an entire month, thirty days, training you with really extensive one on one training, webinars, uh, a lot of work, and it only costs you ten dollars. And then at the end of that thirty days, you can make that decision whether or not this is right for you. You can make the decision whether you want to go forward or not. And if not, they pat you on the back. They say, it's great getting to know you, um, and we wish you well. But for those who want to go on, they can make money. Um, you know, look, it, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. And so it's a lot of work. Don't, like, I don't want anybody to think that, it, it, that it's completely easy. It's work. You have to put in your time. But if you can, you can make some good money doing this. Scotty, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be listening tomorrow at 10. Appreciate it. Tridaytrading.com. They're good folks, man. Check out the free webinar, and they'll hook you up. Tridaytrading.com. That's tridaytrading.com. More Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Wrapping up a big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Man, has it uh, been busy today, Gordo. We've had a bunch of guests. We've uh, covered a lot of ground. It's been a really good day. I'm still trying to figure out what I said that uh, was uh, so disagreeable. I guess everything, right, Jake? To Scotty? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, I think it was about the men wearing makeup thing. You know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you're going to have to. Well, I'm know. not saying that I was condoning that. I'm just saying it was a thing. You'll, I don't uh, think I think you're condemning it is the problem. Who oh. knows? Maybe that was oh, the okay. that was the line in the sand for Scotty. Not not wild about the makeup segment. <laughs> well, maybe are you suggesting that he wants to wear makeup? Uh, no, no, I I, I don't I know what he's Austin. alluding to. No, uh, Austin, I'm, I'm I'm not saying anything. I said you, it's your segment and your subject. So okay, what do you say? Uh, it's not for me, but uh, if somebody <laughs> wants to do it, then, I mean, whatever. But if Lisa wants you to, wants you to, you, you will. would do it. Yeah. 
Well, uh, again, I repeat, if Whitney and Naz wanted you guys to do it, guess who's doing it? No, I, I wouldn't. And in fact, I'm my t- wife uh, texted in and agreed with that assessment, if you do recall. She did. But if she thought differently, if she really pushed hard, you, Jake, you talk tough. You know I have a, like a, a voice in my marriage, right? I mean, it, it might not be the final say, but I, I do have I mean, a voice in my marriage. But you did then go spend three and a half hours in line at the credit union on Shred Day. Oh, I Which did wasn't do that. Your choice no, that was your not. Idea. That was not so my. So Gordon's choice. got somewhat of a point. I, I got there it, are some things that we I all we're willing we to all do. take an yeah. L on because it's, it's kind of like a compliment. Like, yeah. Yes, it's a compliment to you, Jake, that you would be willing <laughs> to occasionally bend the knee and say, "Okay, if that's what you want, <laughs> honey, I am more than willing to do what will make you happy." But Why? I'll be because I'm not a selfish SOB. But I'll tell you this: if if she came to me and said, "Hey, let's drive to Boise to see a concert we saw last week," I'd tell her, "I don't think so." Well, yeah, but see, you're you're twisting that the way you usually do. Those tickets were bought first, and then the show that was here in Salt Lake was added at the last minute. Well, why couldn't you say you get Salt Lake show or Boise show? Because we already bought the tickets up there. Well, then don't buy were- the Salt Lake tickets. Oh, well, look, I mean, look, this, okay, this is the difference between you and me. I try to make my wife as happy as possible, and you're, you are just a jerk. <laughs> oh, Gordon, you're a good husband. Is that, that what you're looking for? I've always thought that. You're a good don't husband. Don't ask Lisa about that, please. I, I'm not sure. I don't know how confident I am in that. But I try. That's my honest opinion. You you are a good husband. I lo- I look Except up when it comes to diaper change. I look up to your your <laughs> husbandly skills. Is that a thing? <laughs> if that's what you want to say. Yeah, outside of the diapers. Yeah, outside of that and the cooking but maybe. The diapers were more frequent than I'm getting credit for. But I I had a pretty good source on the diaper one. Did you say husbandry skills? No, no, oh, no. That's a different thing. Husband yeah. Lee. Okay, no. gotcha. <laughs> like we're just gonna, I was like, we're yeah. just going to move on by this? Uh, out in the barn, uh, <laughs> out in the North 40, yes, sir. <laughs> More stories tomorrow. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Gordo, well, you uh, do. are you still doing the movie thing, by the way? We haven't asked you about that lately. You got, a, you got yeah. something uh, on tap for tonight? I, I don't uh, I don't have anything planned, but we have continued that, yes. All right. Well, hey, enjoy your movie, and uh, I'll talk Thanks. to you tomorrow, buddy. All right. You too, guys. All right. Big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.